Hey everyone, Vitor here. Welcome back to another Student Counselor podcast episode, a podcast for students in the counseling or therapy industry where we talk about related coursework and day-to-day topics in our field. If you're new here, please consider rating and subscribing to this podcast on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Be sure to also follow me on Instagram at student.counselor.podcast where I share the day-to-day life of a student in the counseling field Uh, relatable content, and just other resources that I come across. In today's episode, I speak with Victoria Rodriguez, who is a licensed counselor in the state of Louisiana and a current PhD student. We talked about community mental health, telehealth, burnout, money, and a, a lot more. So, Victoria, thank you so much for participating and taking some time to speak with me. I hope everyone enjoys the show, and let's get right to it. All right, I am sitting here with uh, my second guest, Victoria. Victoria, welcome to the show. And why don't you go ahead and introduce yourself? Hi, Victoria, thank you so much for having me. Uh, My name is Victoria Rodriguez. I'm a PhD student at the University of New Orleans. And I also run a blog and do consulting for community mental health agencies. So in that, In that online presence, I see a ton of students, and I know we've already talked about this, but I'm just so excited that you are out there, you know, creating this content for students um, because there's just not a lot of resources, right? Like we both saw that gap and we're here to to kind of fill that gap. Um, So yeah, that's what I'm doing professionally at this time. Ah, well, thank you for that. I appreciate your, your support from the start. Um, I'm just very grateful for, you know, the, the support I've been hearing from, you know, a lot of the people that are hearing the show, listening to the episodes, connecting with me online. So thank you for that. And thank you for being here. We're going to dive deeper a lot into your background as what I see here. I, you have an extensive background in community health and academics and research. But before we get into that, I do want to learn from Victoria and what brought her to be a counselor. Oh, yeah, that is always the question, isn't it? That's a hard one that we don't, we ask that of students, and then we stop asking, like, five months after you get licensed. Um, So when I think about what brought me to be a counselor, um, and I really discuss this, like, in my own therapy, right, kind of like what we were talking about before the show, is what I really enjoy is the process of creating a comfortable space for my clients and just for communities as a whole. So, you know, we live in a world that is so rough around the edges. Um, And I know it's a cliche to say, but just like a cruel, not nice world that we live in, you know, a, um, a lot of systems that we're all working through, you know, together. And for me, what brought me to counseling is even in high school of just being able to create that space for others of what, you know, that I would want of like, I am going to try and make a space that's as comfortable for you and an environment that's as comfortable for you as what I would want for somebody to create for me. So I think that's, that's the core of what it comes down to for me is just, you know, creating comfort. That's awesome. That's great. I mean, it's, it's really one, probably one of the main things for that a counselor needs, you know, working with, with clients, you know, creating a comfort, a comfortable space, a comfortable, um, you know, room for them to speak and come and and talk to you. So that's really probably one of the main things of a counselor. So, uh, yeah, I, I wanted to ask you that as, you know, a lot of the people that listen to the show, they're either starting the, pro- the the programs or maybe deciding if this is something that they want. And they kind of always wonder, you know, what, what makes a, what makes a good counselor? Is this the field for me? So what would you say to, to those people? Yeah. And you know, that's a, that is such a hard question because the awesome thing about counseling um, is that there are all kinds of different clients, which means there's room for all kinds of different counselors all kinds of different practice. Um, 
the number one tip that I give to students and supervisees or the number one characteristic I should say is, uh, is flexibility, right? Is like, you don't have to accept everything that I'm saying. You don't have to agree with me on everything that I'm saying or what your other professors are saying, but I am going to ask that you be flexible enough to receive feedback, test new ideas out and see what sticks for you and what doesn't. So I think flexibility is just a huge characteristic um, of all counselors that, you know, is going to allow you to overcome whatever challenges come in grad school or after. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. I, I completely agree. In fact, you have to be flexible. Clients are going to be different. There's different situations and you have to adapt and, and, and be flexible with what comes your way. So that's, that's true. <laughs> well, and, I'm thinking even for you, like you have to be flexible in grad school, right? Like I'm oh, sure yeah. all grad programs are the same where, you know, you find out Three weeks later, you didn't register for a class you were supposed to register for. You find out, yeah. you know, you're missing some assignment or didn't follow some instruction. And I think to avoid the anxiety, you know, that that comes for students so often, I, I'd love to hear your feedback on this too, is kind of just being able to, to ask those hard hitting questions and, you know, make sure that, you know, you're following the structure of a class or the program, but also being able to be flexible around change you know, mm. even at, even at the program level or even at the class level, mm -hmm. um, which I know is difficult, right? Cause I think so many of us in undergrad come from really structured environments, you know? Yeah. And when you go to grad school, it's just kind of all over the place and it's, you're more on your own, not because it's online, you know, like me, I'm sure yeah. other people feel the same way. Um, because you're dealing with a lot of other stuff at the same time, you're, you're working full time and, you're just being an adult <laughs> and that takes a lot of flexibility, you know, just managing your time and understanding the amount of work that is required and being flexible around what you can do and cannot do, you know, with friends and family. And mm, I think yeah. that kind of sets you up for success. You know, like you said, flexibility is something you're always going to need. And I think that's something that students have to apply early on with their own lives, you know, while they're in grad school. Yeah. Yeah. That's a great point. Like both personally and professionally, I think yeah. it will serve you. Yeah, definitely. So now that you mentioned grad school, <laughs> where did you do your program? <laughs> I did my master's program at Nichols State University, closest to the coast um, yeah. in South Louisiana. Um, and it was a relatively small KCREP accredited program. We were in person. Um, but when when I tell you, you know, that when you go to one of those smaller programs, when I tell you like the one-on-one -on -one care that we got from our professors, I, I don't know if I've seen it emulated in another program, um, you know, even in my research um, mm. or just meeting other students of just having those professors that would take the time, you know, to, to not only help you in class, but outside of class. Like I still meet with my, um, professors and supervisors who have continued to guide me, you know, not only through my PhD, but through community mental health, through opening up a private practice. Um, and it's really kind of one of the best investments um, that I made. That's, that's wonderful. And yeah, that one-on-one -on -one experience, I think that really, that's really what changes everything I feel, at least for me. And when I was choosing a school, I guess I can relate a little bit to that, that I, I didn't want a kind of program that I was just thrown in there and like, here, this is what you have to do. You know, <laughs> I wanted to have some kind of interaction and experience, you know, with my professors and, and my students and the other students, you know? So yeah, I, I that's very important when choosing a school. Um, what other things would you say is, is very important for those picking a school or starting their search? What would you say is one of the most important things to, to consider when choosing a university? Mm, that is such a good question. And I, I haven't had that conversation in a long time with master's level students because we are in such a rural area. So if you want, well, and I can't even say that now, you know, with online schools coming up, you know, which is just an awesome option, um, you know, for students who work or have families or any other, you know, who don't want to stay out until 10 o'clock at night or, you know, who are homebound or bedbound, you know, there's so many options for you right now. Um, 
So I would say when choosing a graduate program, talk to the students first, Mm. talk to the ones who graduated, talk to the ones who are working there now. Um, I think the GAs are always, you know, they're there for a reason because they love to help and they love to interact with others and other students. So I would reach out to the GAs first and just say, Hey, Mm. I'm thinking about this program. What can you tell me, you know, about the, about how this program works or kind of, you know, what I would need to be successful in this program. And I think you would get a lot more, you know, in, in depth, just because they have the time that a professor might not have, you know, to answer all of those questions. Um, But also maybe a less um, unbiased view Mm. of the university, just because they're in it. And, you know, nobody knows how a program runs more than the GA running, you know, around through all the departments. Can you explain Um, GA for me? I'm sorry. That's just me not knowing. (laughs) Yeah, I'm so sorry about that. Um, As a snapshot on my part. So that's another good point. If you are looking um, to have your tuition paid or looking to have some type of scholarship, a GA or a graduate assistant Mm. is um, essentially like a part-time or a full-time job that you can have in your um, counseling or mental health program where you are, I mean, you can be doing so many things. So I did it. I did a graduate, I would did a graduate assistantship where I was um, helping a professor um, with kind of setting up their class stuff, you know, kind of managing all of their coursework. I did a graduate assistantship where I was helping to run the practicum clinic. So we had a practicum clinic where people from the community could come in um, and receive, you know, free or reduced counseling services from our students so that our students got to get their hours and then they got to get free counseling. So it was a pretty Mm. good deal. And then I also got to do it at my university um, college counseling center. And the great thing about that is they also pay, so they pay a portion of your tuition and they paid a stipend. Um, So it, it really worked out for me financially, just being able to afford, um, school. So I would, I would definitely say if that's something that's on your mind, I would look for a university um, that maybe has those research um, assistantships or graduate assistantships, um, anything like that. Interesting. Thank you for explaining that. I thought when you said GA, it was graduate assistant, but I didn't want to assume. And I figured maybe I'll ask and someone else, you know, maybe wasn't understanding either. So uh, thank you for explaining that. I, I didn't consider that when I was searching um, but I can see how that could be very valuable. I did connect with other students. I remember mm-hmm. I started, I went on LinkedIn and I started, and I went on a school, in the, on the school profile and started clicking everyone I went to school with. And I would just Love send it. them messages and like, hello, I'm trying to join this program. Wanted to get your thoughts and how it was. And uh, so I did that <laughs> and that was pretty yeah. good. I think that's very, very, very important when, you, when you're starting your search, you know, considering what school you're going to go to or if this is the one for you. You know, just connect with other students, current students or alumni, you know, people, like you said, GAs working there. So, yeah, it can definitely help you narrow down that search better. Yeah. And alumni is an awesome option because then you're starting to build your network out even farther Mm. and you're starting to think about where can I go for practicum and internship or where can I, you know, start a career later Mm. on? So I, I love that idea, too, of not just people who are in the program now, but people who have graduated as well. Yeah, most definitely. And and then you went and you are currently doing, from what I see here, your PhD to be a counselor in education and supervision. Is that what it is? Yes, that's correct. I know <laughs> it's a mouthful. Um, yeah. So I finished generals, which is the portion that comes before you start your dissertation. Um, so hopefully, fingers crossed, only um a year or more left of that. So hopefully not too much longer. I know I'm trying to do the math at the same time. Um, so yeah, hopefully I will be graduating soon with my PhD in counselor education and supervision. And my dissertation topic is on, um, theory application in community mental health. So I'm really interested in how students, you know, come to develop, to develop like their theoretical orientation, but also how they apply that in different settings, you know, whether that's like what you were talking about, whether it's online, you know, whether, you know, through teletherapy or whether it's in a client's home, 
you know, in community mental health yeah. or, um, you know, at, a, at an IOP program, you know, there's just so many, there's so many ways that setting can affect, you know, how we interact with clients and how we engage with the environment. So that's something that's, that's always been really interesting to me. And how did, how did that passion start? So after, well, not after, actually right um, before I graduated, I started working at a community mental health agency. So a community mental health agency is typified by working with clients, um, in my state anyway, with high needs. Um, they had to have, uh, they had to qualify for Medicaid and they had to have a qualifying mental health diagnosis to be in the program. And instead of clients coming to me, you know, in an office setting, I would drive out and meet clients in their homes or at the library or at another community location. So I'm sure as we can all imagine, there are some pros and cons to that. Um, mm -hmm. It was really, really challenging work, you know? Um, but because we were in such a rural area, that's kind of um, the jobs that were available. Um, but, and, and I am so grateful that I had that experience but now that I'm in my PhD, you know, and, and kind of studying that on an academic level, I'm like, wow, like there's so much that could be changed to make this better for both the therapist and the client. Um, so that's kind of where my interest started, you know, is working in that field in the first place. Okay. So that's kind of how you got your name. My, my car is my office. <laughs> yeah. So that, that, that name, was a joke. Oh my gosh. I wish I would have thought of something catchier and with a, um, what a smaller name to be able to print on things. Um, but yeah, so that was a joke that started between me and my coworkers where we would, you know, because you are having to make 25 hours of, um, of client contact hours a week. So that's like direct hours that you're making. We would have to eat lunch in our cars, you know, um, find gas stations with like the cleanest bathrooms, you know, um, we would organize our cars with all of our worksheets, you know, so our cars really were kind of the, the stop and start point, you know, those really were our offices for the day. Um, so it became, it became for me, like just a really important, um, important aspect of my job. Yeah. You were, you were there a lot. I mean, it was yeah. your office. <laughs> it was. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. This is my office here. I work here, study here. It's, I'm here like more than where I go to my own living room or, <laughs> or my own bedroom, uh, my, or my office in my, my house is where I work all day and go to school since it's online. So yeah, this is, so some people have the office in the car, some have it at their home, especially now with telehealth, you know, people are working yeah. from home and they're not constantly going into an office anymore. So yeah. do you like that experience of going to the communities and, and um, meeting clients in their homes? Is that something you want to do long-term? Yeah. So I um, do not do that anymore because okay. um it oh, you told me but, that i'm sorry <laughs> no no that's okay i'm i'm thinking i'm thinking to myself i'm laughing to myself where i talk about community mental health and then they're you know just being completely honest i think there is that um that guilt of like i was not able to like stick it out enough right even though that's that's my own messaging that i've received mm. um but for me it just became unsustainable you know to do a phd and make 25 hours of contact you know, a week, because it's not, it's not just that you're seeing 25 hours of clients a week, you know, some cancel, and then you have to reschedule. Mm. Um, you might be driving, you know, an hour or more to see these clients. Um, that said, I did really learn so much from that work. You know, my supervisor used to say, if you can do this job, you can do anything because you are, it's almost like what I like to call this inverted triangle. You're like you are the one with the least amount of training. Like I was a student you know, still in my graduate program when I started. And I was working with clients with the most, you know, intense needs, you know, whether that was poverty, food insecurity, insecure housing. Um, and, in, and in some ways, you know, it's a system that really sets, sets me up for burnout, you know, sets counselors up for burnout, but also sets clients up to where they might not be receiving the best possible care. Um, just because these are lower paying jobs that, you know, might attract people who are still working in school or working towards licensure. Um, but just the, I don't know, like the trust that you get of somebody inviting you into their home 
I don't know if that could even be matched, um, over teletherapy, which is what I, you know, what I do primarily now of just, you know, you are literally in that person's environment. They're not just telling you, you know, what's going on at home. You're, You're able it. to see it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, Wow. And I, I love that too, of even just using the home as like, and you can do this over teletherapy too, but like using the home as a part of treatment. So even just saying like, um, they're saying, oh, I'm not, uh, I'm not close to my mom anymore. And I can say, okay, well, you have a lot of pictures of your mom on the wall. So, you know, let's mm. talk about that. Can we have a conversation about that? Or, or being able to engage um, with their culture too. So I'm in South Louisiana. Everybody is cooking all the time. Just, <laughs> and, and I'm sure in South Florida too. So like I have, um, my family is Cuban and like still in Miami. So like everybody's cooking beans like all the time, I guess yeah. is like a similarity between the two. Oh. Um, so being able to even engage with them, you know, on that level of like, um, what are you cooking when you get home? Tell, teach me more about like, you know, your family's history, um, with food or material goods, you know, um, so I think that was a really interesting part of the job for me yeah. is just being able to engage with that culture and that, that history. Yeah. I, yeah. It's just become so personal, you know, like yeah. you're really, like you say, you're seeing the, the client situation, you know, you're just learning a lot about them just by walking through, through their doors. It's yeah. That's, that's awesome. So how does, now that you're going to, from, you know, doing community health to being in, like you say, telehealth now, so what would you say is the main difference working in telehealth since you don't really have, you don't even have that contact personally, talk, you know, seeing them face, you know, you're seeing them through camera, of course, but you're not seeing them in person. You're not in their homes as you are used to. So what's like the main difference since that's kind of like the main thing going for, for counselors in the future? Oh yeah, absolutely. And I, I'm really glad we're having a conversation about this. Um, because I actually feel like there's more similarities between home-based counseling or home health and telehealth versus the client coming to the office or coming to your practice. Um, because we're both getting to see the clients, you know, like I said, or, or like we talked about, you know, in that environment, but also I think there's just this huge cultural bias, um, against telehealth if that makes sense. Like there's this bias of like, it's not, you're not able to like see facial expressions. You're not able to form relationships um, as intensely as in person. But what I can tell you is even working in, in home-based counseling and community mental health is, well, you've just negated a whole population that can't leave their home. You know, whether that's from chronic illness or disability or they're homebound or bedbound for other reasons, yeah. you know, telehealth, um, I, for me is really the great equalizer of like, you know, if you can't, if or childcare, like home-based counseling helps out with that too. Like if you can't find childcare, we can find a way to fit, you know, your needs into the session. Mm. Um, and same with telehealth too. So I think for both, it's about prioritize, you know, it all comes back to that comfort, right? Like mm. for me, it's about prioritizing that client's comfort and quite literally being able to meet them where they're at. So I hope that wasn't too long of a response, but for me, oh, that, no. that's really what it comes down to. <laughs> I love that. Yeah. No, that's what you, I, I don't know why there, there is, uh, and I, I've seen posts online of like the stigma of, of telehealth and how it could be an issue. Some people are against it, some are not. And there's this whole conversation about it. I mean, it, it's going that way. And we saw, I'm, I'm sure you saw it too. And you probably talk about it more than me, being that you're licensed, but there's, there's just a huge growth, you know, after COVID hit and it mainly became online. There's a therapist that I reached out recently when I was seeking a new therapist. And she was like, yeah, I don't do it in person anymore. It's just telehealth. And I'm like, oh, interesting. And I think it's great. I mean, for even for counselors too, it just opens up the door to, for them to helping people, not just in their area, but people that may be interested in their work that is in another part of the state. Yeah, no. And that's such a good point for, so it even allows people who need specialists, you know, we're not even talking about maybe like high needs clients. So for instance, I work a lot, um, in my private practice now, um, an issue that I saw a lot in community mental health was like health anxiety or medical trauma, you know, when you have like these comorbid issues, um, and I would find, and really 
a lot of the times they're coming in with, um, with an eating disorder, right. Mm. You know, when you're working on like body image stuff, when you're working on health anxieties. So I love having the option of telehealth of saying like, you can see a specialist now, you know, which is so needed. Like you can see somebody who specializes in your exact issue. And for the counselor, um, first of all, allows me to wear pajama pants at work. Like I cannot, (laughs) I cannot emphasize enough, like what a, what a privilege that is that I am really, you know, to be able to be comfortable in your own home is such a privilege, but also, um, you know, being able to, to serve clients that otherwise would not be able to see us just because we're not where they are geographically. But yeah, I know what you mean. I, I do see those posts online or just um, from other therapists who are saying, you know, I, I am moving completely to telehealth. So I'm, I'm really excited for that, you know, again, for clients to have options, you know, if they want to see somebody in person, great. I don't do that, but I have a friend who does. They yeah, want somebody to telehealth. yeah, exactly. So it, it becomes like this awesome networking aspect, networking aspect too. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. It's, it's something I look forward to when I, you know, become a therapist to, to provide that kind of service, uh, service, you know, because I can imagine in the future, again, you're just it's much easier for you to manage your personal life too. And you don't have to dress up and go to an office. You're just talking to someone and your, your schedule opens up a lot more. It just, it's just, there's just a lot, a lot of pros. Of course, there's cons too, like you said, no, no personal contact in, you know, but in general, there's just a lot of pros <laughs> to me. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I think I think we're both biased towards telehealth. Um, we are. <laughs> so I, I think it might be good to have somebody on the show who's like, no, I only do no, it I'm person. not. But I, I just, I just love telehealth both for me and for my clients. And you know, the funny thing is, when we talk about that bias that people have against. Um, against telehealth, you know, we're like, Oh, I just, I think the research supports that as well, but I don't want to speak to that. Cause that's like not my area of expertise, but like clients mm-hmm. believe that telehealth won't be as effective, but in the end, like it does end up being as mm. effective, you know, just yeah. as effective as in-person services. Yeah. Um, so I even had a client tell me recently, Oh, I don't know about telehealth, but like, I'm going to give it a try. And I was like, give it a try. If you don't like it, you know, you can always stop, you know, which is the option that I always give to my clients, you know, to, to just be able to choose, you know, um, to have that autonomy. And finally, you know, about a few sessions in, I was like, you know, you know, you talked about wanting someone in person. Is this still something you want? He's like, you know, I think it's kind of ironic that I came into counseling to talk about this intense relationship that I started online. And I'm finding I can see the irony. Yeah. The irony of like, (laughs) of course we form relationships online all the time. And they're just as valid as relationships that we form, you know, in person. Um, So again, that's a, but that's a definite bias that I have just because I love the convenience for myself and my clients. Yeah. I I, I love the convenience too. I must say though, now going to therapy now, I might myself chose to see someone in person just because again, yeah. I, I work from home. I study online. I was like, I need to get out. <laughs> I need to go see someone in person, get, a, get a, you know, some fresh air and walk out of my house a little bit. So, but yeah, the flexibility of being able to do it, that's, that's the key thing. You know, it just helps a lot more people. Those are maybe not comfortable going out or people with disability that don't have a way of moving around or they just don't have a car or need, you know, they don't want to depend on someone taking them there. So it just opens up the door a lot, you know, to, to counselors and, and people seeking therapy. Yeah. Um, I want to backtrack a little bit <laughs> back into your community health uh, history as uh, back when you were a student still or, or an intern, I would say. So um, where did you intern exactly? And what was your experience like? Sure. So I um, was at my, <laughs> I was at two sites, right, which I would not suggest to your listeners. Um, it was pretty unnecessary and miserable to try and balance that. So I was working at my, my university counseling center. So, you know, the counseling center at my, at Nichols Mm -hmm. and, um, working at start corporation, which is a nonprofit community mental health agency. And I was doing that, um, for two semesters, kind of Mm -hmm. working at both sites for two semesters. So I was, I was logging maybe like 60 hours a week of work on top of, you know, just going to classes too. So that, that was still going on, you know, and like having a personal life. Um, how did you manage that? (laughs) Well, I don't, I wasn't good. Like, that's what it comes down to, right? Like just the reality 
and I, and I had supervisors, you know, that, that maybe tried to point that out or support me in that way. But I, I kind of had that view of like, oh, burnout happens to other people, not to me. Like, I'll just work through it. But I think I burned myself out and I think I wasn't as good of a clinician as I could have been. So I remember I would, I would go to work at eight o'clock on some days, you know, for, uh, and see students in the counseling center. And then I would be out until typically eight o'clock seeing count, um, clients in the community, you know, Mm. and like, these are, and again, I've never been in a super unsafe situation, you know, more so uncomfortable situations, but just, you know, there is a level of discomfort of, you know, being out, you know, I think the latest I had stayed out once to see a client was like 11 o'clock at night. Um, so there was a certain level of discomfort of like, I have to, I have to meet the expectations of my clients and the job and not the other way around of, I need to find a, I need to find a way to make this work, you know, for, for my needs. Um, Mm. and my, then the level of burnout that I was experiencing. Um, so yeah, I was interning at a community health agency. And then when I graduated and continue with that community mental health agency, I think for about, um, three more years. Yeah. Okay. Interesting. And and I appreciate your, you know, talking about your burnout story, even as a student, because you know what, I think about that. I'm like, I start, when I start getting overwhelmed, I'm like, oh my God, is this me leading to burnout? burnout? Yeah. Am I, am I doing too much? And especially when I added the podcast in between my work and personal life and and being a student, I'm like, oh man, this is a lot, but like, I don't know. I've always liked doing a lot, you know, but sometimes it's it's stressful, you know? And I'm just like, is this too much? I start questioning myself, you know, do I need to take a step back? But Mm. it's, uh, it's, it's important to talk about this stuff early on, you know, students need to consider the importance of, avoiding burnout burnout and trying to do things to avoid it at all costs, even early on as students. So what what would you say, uh, what would you do differently in your case since you experienced it? What would you recommend to students starting to, you know, avoid being burned out as students? Yeah. I mean, that is a really tough question because I think like what you were even saying, you know, students who end up in graduate programs, you know, of any kind, even if that's counseling or another type of program, those are the students or those are the people that are just more likely to try and overload themselves. You know, like we're high achievers. We, yeah, of course I can take on that extra project. Um, and the problem is that you don't know you can't until you can't right. Mm. Like, or for me anyway, I was not prepared to like identify what burnout looked like until I was quite literally in the middle of it, you know, not suggesting that that happens to every student. Um, but what I would suggest is just, you know, kind of like what you're doing, you know, and what I'm doing, like go to therapy and figure that out, like Mm -hmm. talk to your professors about that and figure out your limit because your limit might look different from others. Mm. And also just like giving the grace. Like, I know we hear that message a lot of like, don't let yourself burn out. Like whatever you do, don't burn out. Um, and I think sometimes that can make it scarier to admit like when we're burning out. Cause then we, we don't want to talk about it of like, Oh gosh, like, am I not serving my clients? Am I, you know, are they not going to let me continue in the program? You know, is my supervisor going to point something out? But yeah, for, for burnout to me, it's about like managing those expectations. And then, um, what is it, you know, talking to others very honestly, you know, with people that you trust about, potential burnout that you're being, you know, that you're experiencing, but also, like you said, um, recognizing that this is temporary, like, yeah, the grad school is hard and it might be hard for a couple of years. And then you will, you know, might go through season, you know, there's never going to be like that perfect balance, you know, between work and play. Like sometimes work is just going to take more. Sometimes play can take more. Um, so I think that's a really personal question that, um, I would explore, I would encourage your listeners, you know, to explore in their own therapy and in their, and in their program. Yeah. I mean, like you said, burnout looks different to everyone, you know, and I have to say, I appreciate that you've mentioned that graduate students in general are overachievers. So, (laughs) uh, I feel a little bit better about myself. I'm like, okay, so, uh, it's just because I'm a grad student. It's just, the grad students love hearing that one. Yeah. (laughs) 
I absolutely loved it. So that yeah. made me feel that made me feel good. So um, yeah, it's just so important to, to talk about it and be involved, know what it looks like. I think for me, that's kind of the exploration that I've that I've been doing. Um, you know, what does burnout burnout look like as a future therapist? And I, I, I hear that a lot. And I, I know you you participated on on the podcast from Meg, which by the way, I love her show. Shout out to Meg, oh, yeah. mental status. Absolutely. Gotta have um, her on next for sure. Yeah, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. Uh, but yeah, it's just being in, I think just knowing what that looks like and, you know, for, for therapists. So I guess students can get involved early on to understand what that is, how it may look. Of course, it's different for everyone, but just understanding other stories, people that have been through it and, um, you know, trying to avoid it at all costs. So I think just being involved in the topic, listening to the topic, like you said, talking about it in therapy or with anyone that you trust, it's just so important. Yeah, absolutely. I would totally agree with that. Yeah. And, um, and then going back into your background now, you've mentioned that you were, you interned, and I think you were also a supervisor for students, right? In, in, in practicum or internship. Is that correct? So um, that is part of my PhD experience. So I'll give okay. a little bit of background for maybe some <laughs> of your listeners who are in grad yes. school and they're thinking, okay, what, what do I do next? Like, what's my yeah. next step? And maybe they're thinking about a PhD. Um, so I supervise as part of my PhD program and a lot of... Um, education and supervision counseling programs require, you know, for you to have some supervision experience. So this really cool thing is where I get to supervise practicum students, and then I'm supervised um, by a professor. So Mm. it's like they get multiple levels of feedback, multiple levels of supervision. So there's all these layers of protection, you know, where they are being protected ethically and legally and from burnout, you know, from kind of um, this whole version of program support. So I really enjoy that part of it. It has been a challenge. I think um, for me and and the other people in my cohort, you know, we were still PLPCs. So in Louisiana, that's like where we're pre-licensed, right? Mm -hmm, Um, Provisionally mm -hmm. licensed counselors. Um, So for us, it was a little odd, I guess, just trying to figure out like that dynamic of like, I am both a student, but I am supervising students at the same time. Mm. And then on top of that, we were getting supervised on both levels. Like we were being supervised for, you know, for our licensures, we work towards licensure and where we were being supervised um, by the program. So it was really cool where we got to engage in like this almost like dual supervision process where Mm. we were learning to supervise while simultaneously being supervised <laughs> so it was you get both was, ends <laughs> yeah it, it was a lot of it was like a super quick way to like learn that like kind of like throw yourself in you know while still receiving that support um but it was kind of tricky to figure out you know I am both a student and, and even for me now so I'm adjuncting you know my first class this semester oh. um cool. And just like that dynamic, um, I texted one of my professors the other day and I was like, I'm so sorry what we put you through because it is a pain just trying to figure out like, you know, how to, how to upload this test, you know, and make sure that it, um, you know, and make sure that it's fair to all students and make sure that every student is being heard. And at the same time that you're meeting KCREP requirements and, you know, that you're taking something out of this class that you can use in real life. Um, so this, it's just a lot of things to balance. So I definitely have like a new appreciation, um, for what your professors go through as well, or through what your teachers go through. Yeah. You've seen it through a different perspective now. So how do you like working with students as a student yourself? How do you like working with students? (laughs) I, I love, I mean, that's again, like I love being able to create that space of both comfort and challenging, right. Of, you know, I want to make sure that you are in a space comfortable enough where you can bring up like, um, the stuff that might make you uncomfortable, you know, in a clinical setting, you know, to be able to talk about like maybe the bad feedback that you get because we have worked so hard to create a supervision relationship where you feel, 
um, that you can trust me and I feel that I can trust you. Mm. Um, so that's just been really rewarding is being able to work with these supervisees one-on-one. Um, and literally we get to watch them grow through the program. So some of these supervisees that I have been seeing since the beginning, I'm now getting to watch them, um, graduate and get licensed or go on to be school counselors. Mm. Um, so that has just been a super rewarding part of the program that I wasn't expecting, but I, I love working with students because you're not at that point where you are so ingrained in like, this is what I'm doing. You know, again, it's about flexibility. Like you're at that point where you say, Hey, if I want to make a hard pivot and I decide I want to change my niche, or I decide I want to change my theoretical orientation, or I decide I want to change, you know, from counseling to psychology, you know, like there is still that option for you, you Mm. know? So I I love being able to work with students when they're still in that stage where they can explore all of those options. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, I can, it's just so cool for you because like you're kind of doing this simultaneously. So you get to help students and then there's other people helping you as a student yourself. So, so interesting to, to have that perspective. So how is your first class going? <laughs> well, <laughs> I have my- to talk about that since you brought it up. <laughs> well, honestly, my first class was a little delayed um, because of a COVID outbreak. Um, oh, thank you. Yeah. So we're starting a little bit late in the semester. So, and this class is asynchronous, meaning mm. that the students don't meet with me over Zoom. They don't meet with me one-on-one. They're kind of completing it independently, mm-hmm. um, which works for me this semester. So I can devote more of my time to dissertation. Um, and just to be clear, like lots of PhD students, um, will adjunct at the same time. We're required to TA as like part Mm -hmm. of our program as well. So that means like being a teaching assistant, like, you know, helping a professor teach that class. Mm -hmm. Um, so we do have a lot of teaching experience before that, but I was really lucky this semester, um, to get that asynchronous experience. So right now I'm, um, I'm uploading your podcast for them to listen to because I oh, feel it's, it's important for them to recognize that, um, you know, it, this is an intro level class, right? So this is like literally the first class they're taking as a graduate wow. counseling student. So to me, it's important for them to hear from other students and from other people who are starting in the program and who maybe don't take on the, I am the expert, you are the student type of approach, you know, yeah. like I want them to be able to, explore what what type of counselor they want to be and all the different ways that counselors can be um so i'm working on that and then working on recording you know some of the more boring lectures for them but i hope they're (laughs) able to take something out of it um yeah that's fun your first class good good for you congratulations and thank you for sharing my podcast with them yeah i mean the really the goal is to to connect with other students, you know, in the field and and just talk about a day to day life of a counselor, you know, and, and my my perspective might be different from their their perspective. I mean, it's different classes, different schools, different states, you know, different yeah. regulations. Um, but it's just so cool to connect and, and talk about that related coursework so they can see what other people experience. And that's why I wanted to you know bring on guests guests on the show like you. And um, just kind of open that up even further to, you know, help other students in the field or those inspired to be on the field, you know, to, to show them everything that it is, what it is to be a counselor, you know, from the, from the ground up. <laughs> yeah. And then I, I think you bring up a great point of like, um, it is never too early to start networking. Like, I wish I would have started from kindergarten <laughs> for, for this job wow. because, this, the friends that you make in grad school, this is, oh my gosh, I feel like this is going to sound so corny, like a Disney Channel original movie or something. <laughs> but like the friends that you make in grad school, like those are the ones that are going to get it. Those mm-hmm. are the ones that are going to say, no, I get why you don't want to talk to any of your family when you get home after work, um, because you've been talking and listening all day. all day. I get how hard it is to start a private practice or how hard it is to work in community mental health. Um, so the supports that I still have, you know, the friendships that I still made in grad school, you know, we have gone to each other's weddings. We're going to brunch this Sunday. We meet up for conferences, you know, and through those relationships, I have gotten onto podcasts like this. 
I have gotten clients through networking. You know, I've had help setting up a private practice. Um, it's a co-owned private practice. So I also met my colleague who would be my co-owner through grad school. Oh, um, so, you know, there's just like, never underestimate like what a relationship, even with another student can do for you, you know, not with just um, professors or conference speakers. Um, and I think the other point about networking is like a lot of professors and speakers and those who are in the field, I'm sure as you found even on the podcast, want to take that time to help the next generation of counselors. It's part of our ethics. It's what helped us get into the field and what helped us be successful yeah. in the field. And I think a lot of us genuinely feel that need um, to give back to students. So I would say, you know, to your listeners and to you, you know, never hesitate to reach out because I think you'll find, especially, um, especially from those in, you know, who have been in the field or who are in a, um, what is it, who are in an academic program, you know, they want to help students because that is quite literally what they signed up for. And they remember what it's like to be a student. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yes. It's just it's just so much into it, you know, as far as networking goes. And it's so important to start early on and, and connect with people. And it's funny that you say like referring clients, because I only had, you're my second guest on the show. And the first guest that I spoke to Desiree a couple of weeks ago, just after that conversation, like recently I had someone looking for therapy and I just remembered her. They're like near the same location. I just started messaging her. And I was like, That's see, this, is, this, this show gave me this opportunity, you know, to connect with people. And imagine like as I continue and, and continue to talk to other people, I can see how how many doors it's going to open for me and for me to help others, you know. Uh, yeah. so it's, it's just super important to, to network. And again, thank you for, for being here. <laughs> yeah, um, absolutely. I want to ask you, what do you think is the hardest thing as a student, a mental health counseling student mm. or any kind of people in therapy or counseling education? I'm going to, I'm going to process that one for a minute. That's Please. a tough question because there is, there's so, it's so hard. Like I was talking it's to so my supervisee <laughs> the other day and my poor supervisee, I, I don't think she'll mind um, me sharing with this because we both went through this at the same time where like her graduation has been pushed back because of COVID mm. and then was pushed back due to hurricane Ida. So mm. it's kind of, I told her she's not allowed to have any more disasters this <laughs> semester. Like that is the last one she's allowed um, but like even living in Florida, like you get it, like disasters happen all around us, you know? And so I think the hardest part about being a student isn't the coursework, right? Um, cause we can sit down, we can learn the coursework, we can learn a theoretical orientation. Um, even the counseling part, isn't that hard? You know, there, well, it's hard. I'm not taking that away from the yeah. students, right? You just had your first mock session. Um, <laughs> but there is a formula to it. There's an experience you can have. So I would say the hardest part about being a student is is prioritizing and recognizing what your priorities are, because there are going to be times where disasters happen, where crises happen in your life. And it can be small, whether it's bringing your pet to the vet, you know, or huge, like a major natural disaster or a unprecedented um, pandemic. Mm. Um, so I, I would say, again, it, it comes down to that flexibility of like, that's the hardest thing is yeah. being able to say, I'm still going to finish this and I'm still going to prioritize me and my education and the goals that I have for myself and my career, despite all of this stuff happening around me, because there is all we know that from history, like there's always going to be stuff happening around you. Um and so I think the hardest part is just figuring out how to, um, how to prioritize what you need to prioritize. And that, do that doesn't always need to be grad school. I mean, sometimes that's health. Sometimes that's mental health. Sometimes that's your family. Balance. So I think getting really clear on that um, will help students decide what needs to be prioritized tonight versus what's going to need to be prioritized tomorrow night. Yes. I love that. It's just a balance of life, you know, and that's what we need in school too, just to, mm -hmm. to be successful. You need to create balance all around, you know? Um, yeah. And I, adding to the part of 
most challenging thing. What would you say is the most challenging thing of community health since you did a lot of work in there? Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I would for, for me personally. So there's three major stressors, right, that we know from the research, you know, high needs clients, ethical ambiguity, um, you know, because there aren't specific ethics. You know, what do you do when you're with a client and a neighbor comes in? You know, do you mm. stop the session? Do you ask for confidentiality? Um, what do you do if you see animal abuse? So we might not see that if they're coming to the office. You know, what are the mm. ethics around that? Um but I think for me, the hardest part was the isolation because you could be driving around all day in your car, speak to nobody but clients all day mm. and never have interactions with a coworker. Mm. So part of the reason that I created um, my car is my office, both the Instagram and Facebook page and the blog was really to create that community for other community mental health professionals for them to ask, Hey, um, what's your favorite gas station bathroom or, Hey, you know, how do I, how do I deal with a client that has this random person in the room? Like, do I ask about it? Do I wait for the client to bring it up? Um, mm. or, or even just like forming that community, right? Because a lot of us, um, unless we're lucky enough to like have a home base of an office, we just won't see coworkers all day. So I wanted to take that idea of like building this community that I had built with um, my coworkers and my friends from grad school, you know, through, through text message groups, you know, through, through meetups that we had to schedule. And I wanted to put that online for other community mental health professionals. So for me, again, like that number one challenge um, was that isolation. Yeah. I, I can see that, especially when we're in the field of people talking to people sure we're talking to our clients, but, and we don't have that colleague or that supervisor right there that you can talk and speak to in that moment. So you're very isolated. Yeah. So would you say that would be one of the reasons why you're kind of switching out or? Uh, no, uh, the money. <laughs> <laughs> it was both the time of, um, what is it? The time that I just needed to devote to my PhD was just not what community mental health could afford me at the time, you know, like they had their, which it's just a boundary, you know, like they had yeah. their, uh, points that they had to meet. And then I had again, priorities. Like I had to prioritize, um, my PhD at this time, just cause it took a lot more time to finish. It's temporary. You know, I'm going to finish it, um, versus trying to balance both at the same yeah. time. Um, so for me, it was also just, um, you know, through, and I had a great agency that, you know, paid me a salary versus like paying me for only seeing direct client contacts. Mm. I had a really supportive supervisor. Um, so again, it, it all comes down to me of just like the time that I needed to devote to my PhD and also, um, the pay just because, you know, Medicaid does not in, in my state anyway, um, does not really pay the most livable wages for mm. these services, you know, which is unfortunate for the counselors and unfortunate for the clients receiving the services. Um, mm. But I'm sure that's a whole other podcast that you could go Yeah, on. <laughs> 100%. But I do want to touch base on the money part, because I think we kind of messaged this on, on Instagram, too, when we were chatting, uh, just about expectations for, for uh, counselors. If, you know, I'm not going to ask you to tell me what you're making, but just I, I've had people actually... I, there was one person specifically that that reached out and just like, I don't know if I want to be, um, I think I, I can't remember exactly. Was it either a, a, um, a psych mental health nurse practitioner or if they wanted to be, you know, a counselor and they're like, one of the reasons why I'm considering the other one is really because of the money. I feel like I can make more money there, but I really just want to counsel people and, and, and have therapy sessions. That's what I want. But I, and people keep thinking that there's no money in our field. So what are, what do you, what do you want to say to those students? You know, they're just kind of deciding or just concerned about mm. their expectations on what they're going to make and the potential of the field in the future. too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I've been thinking about this a lot. So I would encourage them to check out the money sessions podcast by Tiffany McLean. Um, she has mm. an awesome program that I'm in right now. And she's so right. Where even as students, we've start receiving messages, um, especially around community mental health of like, if you serve your time in community mental health and wait until you're licensed, that's when you can go make real money in private practice. But this mm. is just pay your dues now, um, you know, serve your time. Like we use war metaphors 
for talking mm. about working, you know, yeah. as pre-licensed people or students. Yeah. Mm. Um, and I, now that I'm on the other side and like in private practice, I just, I don't buy that narrative anymore. Mm. Again, I work in a really rural area, so I'm all telehealth, but like all my clients come from this area just because of the network, um, the networking work that I've done in this area. Um, we were devastated by a hurricane financially. Um, we again are in a poor rural area and my clients still pay like, um, 120 per session. So, you know, which again, I would, I would love to be able to, um, to increase it at some point, but I think people don't realize that there are still pockets of money everywhere. And that if you decide that that's the type of practice you want to have, then that is open for you. And for me, so instead of spending that time, maybe accepting a lower paying, um, insurance, I'm not on any insurance panels. I like to give back both through my work, supporting counselors through my car is my office. So supporting counselors that are seeing the most vulnerable clients, but also being able, being able to have some pro bono spots, you know, Mm. being able to say like, this is free for you or having some sliding scale spots. And that's what premium fees afford me. Mm. Um, and so I am again, like just started private practice in November. Mm. Um, but I will say that I am officially now making as much as I was, um, seeing 25 clients a week in community mental health. And I'm now seeing, uh, about eight to 10 clients. Wow. Yeah. I mean, so the amount of difference. care, the amount of care that you're giving them now, it's, has just increased tremendously. I can imagine, you know, you're seeing less patients, you're providing them better care and you, you didn't have to take a pay cut for, for, for to do that, you know? Yeah. Um, no, like I can think deeply about cases now, you know, like I can, mm-hmm. ju- it's not just something to check off my list. Like I can say, I want to research this, or I really want to put in the time to taking like the best training to support yeah. my clients. Um, so yeah, that's been, and again, like I know that I'm privileged and I have that, that option to fall back on private practice. Right. Um, mm-hmm. but, but for me, that's just been super, um, yeah, it's a, an awesome change in my life. That's good. Good for you. Congratulations. Um, I, I have to say, just to add to that, I currently work as a, as a healthcare recruiter and we mostly recruit nurse practitioners, physician assistants, and, and physicians for clinics and, you know, health centers nationwide. And for a while last year, my manager saw, you know, that most of our clients were asking for mental health counselors, LPCs, and social workers. So they decided to, to add this to our list of services, but we couldn't fill one of the positions, none of them. Every person that we spoke to, the salary was just too low for them or they wanted to be in private practice. And it's just mind boggling to me. And it's, it's interesting that I got to see that, you know, working, you know, my day-to-day job, you know, this experience of what these people are getting paid in, in my field, it kind of threw me off a little because I was already deciding to, to join this program. I didn't I have, I, you know, I was still in the process of starting and, and joining the, the school and I was a little bit scared. I was like, wow, is this what I'm going to make? You know, mm-hmm. um, but then I put that aside. I was like, hey, you know what? I'm my own person. And my goal is to, you know, have my private practice in the future. And, and it's, it's yours. I mean, what, what you can make, the, the opportunities are endless. You can do so much with it. You know, yeah. you can decide to see eight patients. You can decide to see 10. You can decide to see 15. You can decide to charge a certain amount of fee. You can serve other types of communities by offering a higher fee. There's just so many, there's just so much to it. But yeah. why do you think that agencies and the, the clients that I was working with, that we, we were actually not offering that service anymore because we couldn't mm-hmm. fill any of the positions. <laughs> Why do you think that that is? Why do you think it's that these, uh, that our system, our, our healthcare system and the community health centers, and, you know, they're not able to pay more for the important work that we do. You know, I have heard varying, um, so another podcaster, Patrick Castle will say, well, the agencies are like holding on to a lot of money. He's not wrong. <laughs> We're like, these agencies are like multi-million dollar businesses and you will not see, you know, our multi, uh, you know, multi-million dollar nonprofits, you will not see, you know, uh, a certain percentage of that. 
But I will also add in my state, we have one of the lowest Medicaid reimbursement rates. That's both for community mental health and in private practice um, versus the surrounding states. So we, and I, again, I don't accept insurance, so I couldn't tell you, but I want to say we're like half of what Mississippi pays, what Alabama pays, what Texas pays. So like all of the surrounding states in Louisiana are paying almost double what we're paying mm. um, for reimbursing for Medicaid services in this state. Um, and I think it all comes down to just not, you know, to valuing mental health, you know, to value, to saying like, this is just as important as physical health. And there's real consequences um, for not caring for people's mental health. And I feel that there are so many signs that we already see of, you know, that, that system kind of not working. So again, I go back to private practice, you know, we're talking about Medicaid, but also, um, I could not afford health insurance unless I had a partner with health insurance. And that's a problem to me, you know? Mm. Um, so I think there's just whole systemic issues there, um, that need to be addressed. And I, I think it all comes down to insurance to an yeah. extent and not, and not valuing mental health. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sad to, to see it, you know? Um, and especially that our, our field is growing. I mean, any, if you, if you just search, you know, um, mental health counseling or any kind of field in therapy, you can see how it's really going up and there's a projected growth for the next, you know, couple of years. But I mean, I just, if we need it and people are more open about it these days. Cause you know, if I were to talk about my parents, they, they probably never even want considered to doing this kind of things, you know, but our generation is more open to doing it. And, you know, as we go on in life, I can see how it's going to grow even more. And it's just, but we need to change the system, you know, because <laughs> a lot of people can only go to these health centers to, you know, to, to get help. Um, that's really their, their, their only option or, you know, for many of different reasons. So it's just, there's gotta be some kind of change made to that, you know, to, to facilitate the work of our counselors to show appreciation for the work that we do and to influence people to, seek this field too and, and you know join a, um, a graduate program in the field uh and with without having hesitations about it if if, if this is gonna make me money am i gonna be stable in this mm -hmm. field <laughs> and I, I think you can i think you can do both right like you can give back and you can decide like you said it's your if you, if it's your own practice you get to decide that there's so many options for where you want to work um as a mental health professional and then I would also pay attention to who are the ones that are telling you, you can't make money in the field. Mm. You know, who are the ones that are saying it's one or the other, you either help people or you only see greedy, you know, or you're greedy and you only see rich people. So mm. I would, I would pay attention to who are the people who are giving you those messages. Yeah. And because it's like that old saying that people can't do something for themselves and they're quickly, they're easy to tell you that you can't do it either. Or you're not going to make any money they didn't make it <laughs> it's, yeah, not the, yeah. it's not the reality for for everyone you know so yeah but thank you for giving your insight on that I'm, a lot of students asked me about it reached out to me asking about it so i'm glad we had uh, a little conversation about it and the expectations of salary and where it's going in the future too so um i want to ask you before we finish everything what is the future for victoria what is the ultimate goal, what is your plans? Of course, you're graduating with your PhDs recently and you started your private practice, but what is it that you really want to do as a counselor? <laughs> I ask hard PhD. questions. I, I know it's a questions. good, it's a good one. I'm just, I'm, I'm, you know, when you're in the middle of that dissertation, it's, it's almost like you have tunnel vision. It's very hard to think about, you know, what you're going to, what you're going to do after you finish. It's like, wow, I will never have, like, I just finished my last class. I will never sit in a class again. Um, <laughs> well, maybe, you know, a, as a student. And so I think for me, the ultimate, the ultimate goal is to be able to provide some type of consulting or some type of, you know, large scale training, um, to community mental health agencies so that they can support their counselors, support, um, you know, their participants that they see. And also, um, remain stable, like make the work sustainable because, you know, these agencies also go through a lot of financial ups and downs, you know, relying on grants or relying on Medicaid, mm. um, you know, whatever those reimbursement rates are. And I would love to be able to kind of take what I've learned in doing this work in doing the academic work, 
um, and helping these agencies support their employees and their participants to just create this really sustainable system that can last, um, you know, for decades to come. Amazing. I love that. And I hope you achieve all of it. <laughs> me too. Uh, me too. Me too. <laughs> I do. I mean, it's just amazing to see people in our field. there just excited to, for, for growth and, and change. And I can see that in you and, and how you, uh, you want to make change in your community and, you know, through the things you've learned through community health and now being in academics uh, it's, and I'm sure there's, it's probably just the beginning. There's just so much more I, I, can, I can imagine for you. Um, but yeah, it's just amazing to connect with people, learn from them and, and pass on that knowledge to, to other students who can relate and or could be thinking of doing something similar. So thank you for that. Yeah, well, thank you so much for having me on. Tonight. I know we said we were going to keep it shorter, but I, I just really, I really enjoyed this conversation. Um, and I, I'm so excited to see, you know, where you go next with this podcast um, and where you go next in school. Um, so I encourage any of your listeners, you know, to, um, is this a good time for me to, to give my contact information? Oh, yes. I was going to ask you, you okay. know, please tell, please tell everyone. Where they no, I, I got you. too excited. I was like, yeah, so I want to speak to more students. Um, yes, please. Because I love to give back in, in that way. Right. So um, if any of your listeners want to contact me or have questions about what my work looks like, what my research looks like, they can um, email me at victoria at revivepractice.com or they can um, look me up at my.car.is.my.office. <laughs> Again, long <laughs> name. Um, at my car is my office on Instagram and Facebook and um, at my website, www.mycarismyoffice.com. Um, they can find more resources there, more articles, um, and more stuff that home-based counselors and community mental health counselors can use to prevent burnout and just be the best therapist that they can be. Thank you. Yes, please connect with Victoria. I love all your content. Keep it up. I uh, appreciate all the support. Um, and yeah, maybe we can do this again in the future, reconnect, who knows, see where you are. I'll definitely keep you in mind for anyone that I connect in Louisiana, you know, maybe I'll refer clients to you that way. You never know. Yeah, you <laughs> never know. You never know. Well, thank you so much again for having me on. This was great. No, thank you uh, for your time. And I will be speaking with you soon. <laughs> okay. All right. Bye-bye.